This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Loopcast. I'm Chelsea Damon, and today we are going to do a show that's going to look at the current as well as past Apple controversy with the iPhone of one of the San Bernardino attackers. So there's a lot that's been going on on this topic. Uh, As you know, we had some recent developments at the starting of this week. So Monday, I think it was, um, the FBI actually gained access to Saeed Farouk's phone. Um, But we are going to kind of look at the broad issues surrounding this and some of the case as well. And today I'm very happy to have David Gomez on the show, and he is going to help discuss this issue with us and fill us in on some of the law enforcement um, aspects regarding the case and looking at the case in general. So first of all, thank you so much for coming on the show, David. Well, thank you for having me, Chelsea. And for our listeners, David is a retired FBI executive, and he's also a senior fellow at George Washington's Center for Cyber and Homeland Security. So he has a long history in information and doing work in this field, so he's a perfect guest for this. So, David, why don't you give our listeners a general idea of what is going on what are the basis of this case? Like a little general intro into this iPhone controversy. Sure, let me let me try. Um, after the, uh, the the San Bernardino shootings in which Saeed Farouk and Tashfin Malik, his wife, were involved, uh, the FBI recovered uh, an iPhone 5C from uh, the, the vehicle that they had been driving at the time that they were. Uh, uh, there was a, a gunfight and, and both uh, suspects ended up deceased. Um, like all iPhones, the iPhone 5C had a certain amount of encryption uh, on it. And uh, as in all terrorism investigations, the FBI wanted to uh, recover data from that phone. Now, the phone is interesting because the phone was the property of the county, not of uh, Saeed Farouk. It was one that was given to him as a business phone. Um, another interesting aspect is that the phone, these phones normally have uh, what they call iCloud or, uh, you know, in the sky, in the cloud, uh, backup of their of some of their data, their messages um, and contacts and so on. Uh, that had been turned off on this phone about two months before the incident. Um, so the FBI normally goes to Apple uh, with uh, an order or a national security letter and requests copies of the of the backup. Uh, Apple normally provides these things. I can't think of too many situations where they haven't. Now, in this case, the FBI suspected that there may be more information uh, on the phone because the data backup had been turned off. And so they wanted to get into the phone. The problem is, is that these phones 
uh, you know, they use a, a pin number to uh, as uh, an access code, and then they also have internal encryption, and they also have uh, software that will uh, actually wipe the phone or delete all the data if more than 10 attempts are made uh, to uh, enter uh, an incorrect passcode. So the FBI was concerned that if they tried to brute force this phone by trying multiple uh, passcodes, that uh, they would quickly get to 10 and the phone would be wiped and they couldn't allow that. So they went to Apple and asked for them to provide a software means to uh, turn off, essentially, that that feature uh, of the, the PIN code access, which is the, to delete the, the, the data after 10 failed attempts. Apple refused because they said uh, that would weaken the encryption system. Um, the, the government went to court and got a judge to order uh, Apple to comply, uh, issued, a, issued a court order. And the basis for the court order was a 1789 law back to the founding of the of the country called the All Writs Act, which gives the courts power to order individuals and apparently corporations to comply with their orders in the absence of a specific congressional law. And that's where we were when this whole controversy started because Apple, with their resources and their lawyers, refused and, and took issue with it and uh, we're going to litigate whether they should be allowed to... Uh, disable this particularly attempted to litigate it, but they, they went public with their uh, reasons for not wanting to litigate it, uh, attempting to, to make this a case of uh, privacy, a, 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 a privacy issue for all people as opposed to uh, a privacy issue for the suspect Farouk, or, uh, which actually, in fact, doesn't exist because the phone didn't belong to him in the first place. It belonged to the county. Uh, it was the county's right to... Uh, to uh, you know, uh, state that they had a privacy interest, and they didn't. They, they gave the FBI permission. So that's kind of where we stood at the point until this week when, as you stated in your instruction, that uh, the FBI was able to access the phone through other means. And in your experience in the law enforcement sector, being having a long career in the FBI, personally, it comes to my mind that it, wasn't the smartest thing to use a company phone for potentially talking to individuals that were involved in this attack or the plot. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? It just seems very bad. bad yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, if, if the, the good thing is that most criminals aren't smart. Uh, if they were smart, we'd have a, a much harder time. Uh, most criminals make the same kind of mistakes that you and I do in, in terms of our own uh, privacy uh, on phones. Uh, you know, I've, I've been thinking about this issue for quite a while and, and uh, have uh, conducted a number of interviews. You know, as technology change, you know, things change. Um, you know, when I was a, a young man, if I wanted to take intimate pictures of a special partner, um, I didn't certainly didn't use a film camera because I had to take the film in to get developed. Uh, you would use a, a Polaroid camera in which the picture developed right before your eyes, and then you could save it personally. It was, it was in many ways as private as you can get uh, until you broke up, 
and the person who possessed the pictures then you know had uh, something that maybe you wanted back. With the phone technology, though, and the cameras that came in the last five years onto these phones, the ability to take pictures and store them on the phone uh, became an issue uh, because the phones, in essence, are little computers that can be hacked and people can steal that data off of your phone. And then when, as the technology progressed to where there were uh, Apple provided automatic backups to the, uh, the data on the phone, to the cloud, uh, suddenly there was a case where some prominent uh, artists and actors' pictures were stolen out of the cloud. Uh, now, apparently, some of that was just due to the normal type of phishing and spear phishing type of attempts that uh, criminals make to, to steal passwords, and that's how the access was gained. But it's as if uh, I had things that I wanted to keep private, whether they were pictures, letters, data, information, um, and I was using a public storage facility to store it. Uh, so, you know, the days of me having my information and keeping it to myself in my house, in my briefcase, in my wallet, are long gone. Uh, if most people are like me, that a lot of their life is contained in that phone. It has all my contacts. Uh, it has notes, stories, Evernote applications, and uh, of course all my kids' uh, game levels, which they tell me that if I screw up, they're going to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because they they spend a lot of time on these on my phone sometimes and playing these games, and they achieve levels, and if you turn it off prematurely, their, their data is lost, and they don't want to have to do that again. So, But th- this, this kind of just highlights the issue of, uh, of data uh, and privacy, uh, which are law enforcement issues, they're constitutional issues, uh, they're individual issues, and apparently Apple is trying to make it a corporate issue as well. And how likely, looking at what has been going on in this case with the iCloud account being um, where it wasn't updating, I guess that's the best way of describing it. How likely is it that now that excuse me, now that the FBI has gained access to this phone, is it likely that they can find any of that information that wasn't backed up? Or is this something that potentially they can't even get at this point? Well, they should be able to get it. Uh, once, Once they were able to get access to the phone, uh, the forensic technicians at the FBI, they have tools that will recover the data from there. Their, their biggest concern was having the data wiped by the phone software uh, that's automatically on every iPhone. They didn't want that to happen because they, they were unable to uh, bypass the PIN code. So they used another, well, my understanding, it was a physical method of uh, bypassing the uh, the software as opposed to a software bypass. Um, they physically did something to the phone that enabled them to access the, the memory chips and able to extract that information. And it, then it requires technical analysis by engineers to, to see what they can recover. Um, it is, you know, the, 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 the FBI is rolling the dice on this. They don't know that there is information on there that will be usable either in court or on some future case. But you know, it's the FBI's job to leave no stone unturned. I and mean, they would be remiss uh, 
and they would be criticized uh, just as as they'll probably be criticized if it turns out that uh, there's information on this phone that linked them to either the Paris or Belgian attackers. Not that that's likely, but you know, if we're talking about hypotheticals, anything's possible. Uh, there may be information on there that that is 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 useful for other investigations or uh, both criminal and national security. And do we know for sure at this point if it was actual FBI technicians that got into this phone or if there was potentially a third party used? Because I know the concept of a third party was floating out there in yeah. the media for a while. Um, to quote Will Rogers, all I know is what I read in the funny papers. Okay. Uh, but but the, the newspapers and in conversations or, you know, communications with uh, other people that I know, um, there's some speculation that a company called Celebrite, which is an Israeli company that has a contract with the FBI to provide forensic services uh, to them, may have come up with a method. Now, that's that's speculation because there's been no confirmation either by Celebrite or by the FBI. But uh, Celebrite has a, a long history going back at least five years of, of working with the FBI on forensics. Now, because it's an Israeli company, um, you know, there are probably national security issues that, that – uh, that have arisen, you know, in this case, uh, I, Israel being one of the primary targets of international terrorism has prob- is probably at the forefront of being able to uh, disable encryption and essentially hack phones to get to the data. Uh, I don't know that for a fact. I'm merely speculating, but I, I do know that that, uh, that is the company that's been named. Uh, the speculation among the People who really know are saying that they believe that it was physical as opposed to a software method. And the interesting thing now is that Apple wants to know from the FBI how they did it, mm-hmm. which I which I thought was an interesting position because what they're saying is, okay, we have promoted security on our phones uh, as a marketing tool. You have obviously been able to crack our phones. We want you to tell us how you crack the phones. So we can make it more secure. So the next time you need information, you can't do that. You can't get it, which uh, I thought was kind of uh, bold on their part. The really interesting thing is that at the starting, we had the FBI going to Apple and, of course, asking for them to help them get into this phone and gain access to this potential information that might be on it. And now we have the tables that have been reversed. So... Now, Apple is going to the FBI and wanting to know, how did you break into our phone? And as you mentioned earlier, it's this idea of security on both sides. So now Apple wants to make sure that their products are going to potentially still be secure for their customers. What are your thoughts on this? Well, I, I think it's pretty. Uh, it's a pretty bold move on the part of Apple, considering that uh, they initially said, no, we're not going to give this information, this software solution to the FBI or to the government because it it ruins the security on all Apple phones and future phones. And now that the FBI has has found a way to get uh, into the phone, they want uh, the FBI to give them that solution so that they can improve the security, remove that vulnerability, and in the future make it so the FBI can't get into any other phone, which 
you know, that's uh, like uh, a burglar breaking into your house and you put up a, a better set of locks and windows and the burglar coming back to you and saying, hey, uh, can you tell us what you did so that next time I can get into it better? Or maybe that's not a, a great example, but it's, it, it, is, uh, it is interesting that now they want to know how we got in uh, as if they don't know. I think that there's enough information uh, in the public realm on the Internet right now that talks about uh, very specifically how it's possible to do uh, the penetration that this third party apparently did through physical means as opposed to software means. And it's up to the Apple engineers to figure out how to remedy it. The government's under no obligation to give that back to them now at this point. What does that mean in the broader sense of law enforcement? We have this idea of wanting security on personal devices, although, as we've mentioned, this phone was actually the property of San Bernardino County, not Saeed Farouk, which has a lot of implications right then and there. It wasn't his personal property. However, going back to the idea of personal property and personal privacy and security, what does this mean in the greater picture for law enforcement? What can and can't be done? What hypothetically should and shouldn't be done? Right. You know, a lot, a lot of my uh, my political views on some of these issues are shaped by, you know, my my 30 years of, in law enforcement. I was not only a, an FBI agent, but I was a policeman with Los, the Los Angeles City Police Department before that time. And um, I, I've always taken the view that 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 law enforcement is a shared responsibility with the public. It's not just my job to enforce the law. It is the public's duty to assist me in enforcing the law. Now, there's a lot of libertarian thinkers out there who don't agree with that. There are anarchist thinkers who think that the only purpose of government is, uh, you know, oppression and there should be no cooperation. There's a lot of privacy advocates, very honest people who believe that privacy is supreme and uh, that's, that's the most important thing and that the government shouldn't have access to any of the stuff. But if you look back historically, uh, it is the, the willingness of the, of the people to provide the police with police powers that makes America great. They, they give the powers. They can take them away. Law enforcement uh, is charged with protecting the public. So uh, – it, particularly in, char- in in terms of of terrorism and counterterrorism, where prevention of the act is probably more important than investigating after the fact and finding the perpetrators and putting them in jail, you know, prevention is extremely difficult. And without the proper tools, the uh, law enforcement, the FBI, the police, the national security. Uh, the, the 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 people involved in national security, they they simply can't do that. Um, so the public has to make a choice: Are you willing to give up a little bit of your privacy for some enhanced security? And I know there are people who will say, "Well, famous quote from I think it was Benjamin Franklin said, you, people who would give up, you know, their privacy or for security will have neither." But um. This is this is a shared responsibility uh, on the part of the public. You, you can't really have it both ways. Uh, you can't say I want uh, to put to be able to put all my data and all my information on a phone, 
and make it so encrypted that the police can never get to it because the first person that's going to enable are the criminals and the terrorists. There, I'm a big believer that there has to be a method to get into 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 these data banks in a lawful manner. In other words, I, you know, I, I've been in law enforcement a long time, and uh, I know what it means to get a search warrant that, you know, we you go to an independent magistrate, you provide him with a set of facts and a sworn affidavit, and he reads those facts and he makes a determination as to whether that search is reasonable or unreasonable. And if you look at the Fourth Amendment, what the Fourth Amendment actually restricts is unreasonable search and seizures, not reasonable. If it's reasonable in order to protect the public and the court authorizes it, the police should be able to do it. And that's what they did in this case. They provided, they they wrote a search warrant for the phone. They They got a court order from a judge. They went to Apple and asked them to provide this information. Apple refused. And that's what started the All Ritz Act uh, controversy and legal motions. And then on the topic of the Fourth Amendment, um, when I was looking over the information going on in this case, a lot of people are saying, well, why doesn't the Fourth Amendment apply? And once again, it was this concept of this phone was not the property of the individual. It was the property of San Bernardino County. So looking at this in a broader sense, we had the All Writ Act and then this concept of the Fourth Amendment. How do these laws help or even prohibit cases such as these? Well, the you know the uh, it's kind of like two different things, apples and oranges. The, the 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 Fourth Amendment was was written to protect individuals' property and places from unlawful and unreasonable searches by the British government uh, at the time, or any government. Uh, that came subsequent to the to the Constitution, um, but it provided a means for law enforcement for the government to go forward with uh, what would be then considered a reasonable search. Um, the All Writs Act was written in 1789 to provide a means for the courts to have enforcement powers to be able to make lawful orders that people had to comply with under penalty of. Uh, contempt of court, basically, in the absence of a law passed by Congress. So that's why it goes back to 1789. It's been around, been used. Apple apparently has been served with court orders and it's not contested court orders that rely on the, the All Writs Act of 1789 over 70 times. Uh, it was just this one case that seemed to have crossed a line where they didn't want to they, they didn't really want to be forced to create software that would overcome their own encryption system. And I can understand that position, but I can also understand the need to get that information to help prevent terrorism, future terrorism. And as you said, it's really a catch-22 because everyone does want their personal privacy, yet there are instances like what we've seen right now with this case where sometimes there needs to be a fine line of what you can access and what you can't. And whether it's just as an individual case or, of course, Apple was accusing the FBI of wanting to create a backdoor so that they could potentially access all iPhones. And so I know that was part of this controversy. Looking at that and, and looking at your experience in law enforcement, do you think this was something that 
the FBI had in mind and that Apple was correct in saying, no, I'm not going to help you because you are going to try to be able to use this case and potentially software that we create for you to access all of the phones that we create in other cases that potentially pop up in the future or might be active at the moment. Yeah, I don't think the FBI was interested in establishing a precedent, but I think that the Department of Justice may have been interested in establishing a precedent. And I know that people say, well, they're they're just two sides of the same coin, but but they're actually different. The, the FBI is very independent uh, of other government agencies, uh, although they, they work through the Department of Justice and they work for the Department of Justice. I, I know that that's what Apple feared. That's what their lawyers didn't want to happen. They didn't want a precedent established where the courts could order them to create software that would overcome their own encryption, encryption systems. And I can, I can understand their arguments. I don't necessarily agree with them, but I understand what they want to do. What was interesting, again, and I think this is, I, I said it before, was that they were trying to uh, assert a privacy right that as a corporation they don't have. They were trying to assert a property, uh, a privacy right for you and me and everybody else involved, and in particular, uh, the county of San Bernardino for this particular phone, saying that it would you know, violate privacy rights uh, and it would violate potentially future privacy rights. So it's a very difficult, complicated situation that has been relieved at this point by by the FBI being able to get in the phone uh, through other physical means, it doesn't take it away. And in fact, this other than the the issue of the phone itself and the encryption, the sharing of intelligence and the and the uh, and the passing of information uh, back and forth between agencies and governments is what's playing out right now in Belgium and Paris and Germany with the uh, the ISIS attacks that occurred over there. There. They're very similar in nature, although they're not specific to a corporation like Apple and an agency like the FBI. And one thing that I still am trying to understand, and, and potentially because you understand the law enforcement side of it, so the San Bernardino County actually provided the FBI with the all-go on accessing this phone if, if possible. So looking at that and getting the permission of the actual owner of the phone, how did Apple even have so much of a say in this case? Was it just because that they potentially had the means of breaking into this phone? No, no, it's because the court order was specific to Apple. The, the court order went, you know, said, Apple, this is your, it's a device that you made, and you created the, uh, uh, the software that causes the, the phone to automatically delete all of its data if you attempt more than five, ten times to uh, enter a PIN number incorrectly. And you have the sophistication, the sophisticated engineering techniques to create a bypass to that system or to disable it. And we're going to order you to do it. And that's what they objected to. Looking at the case in general, um, you know, there's so much that's been specific specifically put on this phone, this device. But looking at the broader picture of OSINT and, and law enforcement and the way things are done after an attack such as this level, there are 14 individuals that were killed. 
why has so much been focused on this encrypted phone versus other open source intelligence, aka OSINT, such as collecting things from social media, metadata, looking at potential networks? I mean, why has the phone been sort of the holy grail of this? <laughs> well, I don't think that it has, but I think that because each each phone stands alone as a device that may contain data, and if if that data see the, if that data is not accessible through the cloud, which ninety percent of the data that you have on the phone, if you have enabled cloud backup, you can get from uh, Apple from their cloud via a court order or national security letter. They will comply with those letters. They hold the the keys the encryption keys basically for that the data that's backed up in their own system. Um, they have not fought that. They have provided that information in the past. Apple is now saying that they are going to provide those keys back to in, empower the individual user to encrypt their own data in the cloud and use their own keys. But well, that creates a whole different problem because uh, most people won't do it or most people will use, you know, simple password like password or password one, <laughs> which will make it easy on the part of law enforcement to get at that key. And maybe it's because uh, Apple doesn't want to have the responsibility uh, from a corporate policy point of view of, of giving up information that they, they don't really own. They're just storing it for you. So uh, again, I, I have some understanding and a little tiny bit of sympathy for Apple's legal position, but I don't think that they would win uh, in terms of a, a protracted battle. And I don't think that they would win at the Supreme Court either. But the problem for the FBI was that a Supreme Court win would take probably two, three years before it actually was decided. Uh, and so they went with other means. Using this case as, I guess, a precedent and looking at all the issues that have surrounded it, what does this mean for the broader sense of law enforcement and potentially other cases or current cases? Because there's a lot of implications on how this was done, the different methods that were used, the interaction between Apple, the FBI. So how does this affect future cases or even current cases that might be going on that have similar issues surrounding them? Well, I have a, I have a strong suspicion that the FBI is going to assert a national security uh, prerogative in terms of the actual method that was used. They're going to say, we don't have to give it to you because we need to preserve this method for future national security cases. There may also be an agreement with the company that provided this, whatever company it was, or the government uh, behind the company that says you have we will do this for you but because we developed it you do not have the right to share it with anyone as an agreement um, so uh, and I think that that's what's going to happen because I know that historically um, different segments of the national security community have developed methods that that are used in national security cases espionage uh, very important you know, national security type uh, intelligence collection operations. And those methods are protected until they're compromised. And once they're compromised, then uh, they tend to 
migrate down to the law enforcement community for for them to use uh, as long as they can until they're again compromised and no longer useful because people have changed their methods. Uh, and you're going to see that happen. But my strong suspicion is that the FBI will protect this methodology as long as they can. But, you know, people are pretty smart. I've already read a number of things on the Internet that make sense to me, but then I'm not an engineer and I, I couldn't do it. But the, the way, what they're describing and the method in which they got into this phone is certainly plausible. And people out there who have the time and intelligence are going to be experimenting with this as, as well as Apple engineers. And so in your, your opinion, the FBI in no way would be obligated with sharing this information to Apple, which clearly Apple wants this information on how they got into the phone. But as you said, potentially there's a third party involved that may have right. their own stipulations. Um, is this going to yeah. be sort of the FBI keeping mum, so to speak? I actually think it's, you know, I'm laughing because I'm thinking I can just see the FBI going, yeah, 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 we got it now. You can't have it. <laughs> um, you know, they don't do that, of course, except in private among agents. But, but uh, yeah, I, I don't see them uh, giving it up readily. And I actually think that Apple's going to go back to court and try to get them, force them to do it. I think that they're, they're, that's the next court battle you're going to see. Apple's going to say, hey, you have to provide it with us. And you know, FBI's going to say, no, we don't. We did it ourselves. Do it on your own. You figure it out. And they're, you know, they, they will figure it out. It's, I, I, as a person who, since I've retired from the FBI, has been learning more and more about um, cyber investigations and cybersecurity and studying crypt cryptography, um, what I truly believe is that there's no system that can be built by man that can't be broken by man. So um, when people say this is absolutely unbreakable, we saw that the Tor network was breakable, that they, it was able to be accessed. Now we see that Apple encryption is not everything that it's played up to be. Now, you, certainly you have to have a lot of resources to be able to access it, but um, you know, the joke was that when the FBI was able to access it was that they found a 13-year-old Russian kid living in his mother's basement who was able to do it for <laughs> for free. So, you know, um, but uh, that's just what's going to happen is that, you know, the, the world moves on, technology moves on. Uh, a new method will be developed tomorrow that will be good for a year, and then it'll be broken by somebody, us, the Russians, the Israelis, the Chinese, and that method will get out, out and we'll just see a continuous, uh, continuous evolution. No system is going to last forever. The only way that your privacy and your data will be safe is don't put it on a computer that accesses the Internet or a phone. Right. It's going back to the old school methods. <laughs> right. Exactly. So on the Loopcast, if we have time permitting, we like to give our guests a moment to either touch on something that we might not have touched on in the discussion, or even if you just have a final thought regarding this discussion. So I'd like to hand the floor over to you. Um, well, when, uh, when I first began looking at the issue, I, uh, I thought it made for very interesting, uh, legal, uh, Discussion, and there's a number of places that you can look. You can look at the Lawfare, Lawfare blog, 
has some very good discussions. There's a SCOTUS blog that had some very good discussions talking about some of the rights that Apple was asserting as to whether uh, the issue of whether code is actually speech, uh, protected speech. You know, if you write software code to disable a, an encryption system, is that protected speech? There's some argument that it is, some argument that it isn't. Uh, do they have the, you know, what Fourth Amendment right proceeds from this? Those are the things that get, get me interested in, in this battle. Uh, as a former law enforcement officer, of course, I, I want the FBI to have access to that phone. The, the suspect is dead, but we don't know what else he was planning or who other co-conspirators were out there. And the FBI's hope, of course, is that it's going to be on this phone or something that will help them uh, actually prevent another attack like San Bernardino. And uh, if, if that's true, I hope that they get it. Well, those are very strong words to end with. Um, very good thoughts as well. So I want to just thank you so much for coming on the show and giving us your thoughts on this. Because as we said, there's been a lot of discussion in the media, on the Internet, social media around this, because it's been a very interesting case. And it's been interesting to see where it's taken us at this point. Yeah, I, I, people have very strong feelings about this, and I'm sure that this loopcast will uh, prompt uh, some listeners to voice their opinions, which, you know, I'm a big free speech advocate. Uh, I have that libertarian side of me that says, yeah, you're, it's all good. Let's hear what you have to say. I don't necessarily agree, but let's let's have an open and frank discussion, you know, and make it make it not personal. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and having a discussion like that. All right. Well, thank you for having me.